Welcome to the fifth episode of the Loose Threads podcast. Joining me today is Ben Allen Jones, the CEO and one of the co-founders of Unmade, an incredibly innovative new company out of London merging the best of fashion, technology, and manufacturing. We had a great talk about why Unmade launched a consumer brand to showcase their technology, how they approached personalization and the supply chain that allows it as the same problem, not two different problems, the difference between proactive and reactive supply chains, how they built the origins of Unmade software, and how they continue to scale it to today. We talked about the power of software to abstract formerly complicated processes and make them much easier. We talked about how Unmade manages the customer relationship while also being an enterprise company. We also talked about how Unmade explained a technology that did not yet exist in the early days and how they overcame those challenges. We talked about how fashion tech in its current state needs to move beyond just being another form of marketing. And we talked about how Unmade seeks to have a buyer for each product before it actually gets made, hoping to make a dent into overconsumption. I think this is my favorite episode so far, mostly because we dove into issues at the center of fashion technology and manufacturing and how they're all interconnected. And it was just a really fascinating talk um, that opened my eyes to a bunch of different things happening and how technology might be a solution to a lot of the problems that have plagued fashion for the longest time, specifically around environmentalism and consumption. Here's my talk with Ben Allen Jones. Give us kind of like the quick, the quick and dirty story of how you got here, how you met your two co-founders, um, and yeah, kind of how we're sitting here today. So Unmade was started in April 2013 by Hal Watts, Kirsty Emery, and myself, Ben Allen-Jones. Um, we had previously been looking into all sorts of things around more digital automated manufacturing, but it was quite an abstract idea. And then when we saw for the first time one of these industrial knitting machines, we're like, okay, this is the machine that can take digital files and turn them into real physical clothing and not like a 3D printer where it's like, plastic parts that you have to you know um potentially throw away or they might you know the quality isn't great this is using the finest natural materials um you know you can use any material um from cashmere cotton merino which we do um but through to like acrylics and stuff like that all using these machines um and there was a really clear problem which was that the software to control these machines was very old-fashioned, um, still using like kind of ideas of how you would write software from like the 80s or early 90s and um, like way pre-web essentially. And we're like, okay, let's just come at this with a bit more of a web uh, view, a bit more of like the understanding of how 3D printers work, what are the opportunities? And the first step was how can we change the software of the machines themselves to start to manufacture unique items and that was the first stage of the company and then the second stage of the company was okay now we've done that what is the best opportunity for this technology so is it producing a design tool that anyone can design anything um which you know might be amazing but actually is that what the majority of the world want or or business or business or is it like looking again at design and how we like in a modern digital connected world, how you can say, well, actually, we should start to involve the customer in the process and then, you know, take those ideas, which is what's currently on unmade.com. And now the next step, which is how we can start to take those ideas and find all the, you know, and work with the biggest companies in the world and make their processes more innovative, more creative, more sustainable, more relevant, um, which is kind of the, the mission we're on. 
th- this has been fascinating to me. And I guess I guess the first question to start is, what do you guys consider yourselves? Because on the one hand, you're working on this technology and, and you have chemists and physicists and developers and all these incredible people kind of around you. On the other hand, you're kind of acting like this direct-to-consumer brand yeah. where you're selling right to the consumer. But on the other hand, I was looking around the website last night and I know, as you just mentioned, you guys are looking for kind of... I saw you're hiring a director of partnerships to basically start to go after some of these bigger companies. And so there's direct-to-consumer, there's wholesale, there's there's tech. How do you think of yourselves? So I suppose that we... Three words, I think, um, that explain what we're doing is like a platform. Um, it's an interface between the so it's a platform for how this technology can be used by the whole industry without them having like other people having to come up and produce the, and write the technology themselves and understand how the manufacturing processes change it's an interface between the customer and the brand and changing a new and creating a new way that you can um, change what a brand is offering and tailor it to you and the third part is a catalyst so we're catalyzing the change in the industry um and that's kind of partly why we went down the route of showcasing our own B2C brand is that we went previously, you know, over the last few years and have spoken to many, many brands and they can't imagine what the uses of the technology that we're developing could be used for because it's a complete shift in the supply chain rather than um, making things three to six months in advance um, using predictions and trends um, and then um manufacturing shipping them globally and then do it and having that time to plan a big marketing campaign what if you don't even make anything until the customer has come to your store or your website and said oh i really like that one and then you do that that's like a complete and radical shift in just the the sequence of events and so showing the opportunities in that is kind of what we've been doing with unmade.com and unmade as a technology platform is now how we can offer those services to the much broader industry gotcha so you kind of saw this thing where it's like you obviously knew you were onto something but we need to physically show what this is and what this is, what is actually possible because people are just having a hard time absolutely conceptualizing things outside the box in this industry that tends to be or that tends to struggle with those two issues yeah exactly and we've from the beginning we were saying like from november when we launched um unmade the the new consumer site um you know we were explaining that it is a preview it's a preview of the technology it's a preview of the opportunities that we have is one possible use case we've obviously clearly picked customization as a route but there's lots of other ways that you can use the technology so it's like limited edition increased product variety and things like that that don't necessarily they're not quite as future reaching and as sexy and as like obviously like different but potentially like we're exploring all those different angles with the technology and the end goal the the most extreme use of the technology is what if the consumer can be involved in the design process of a designer piece of clothing yeah and so to, to me this brings you know this really interesting question which is there there have been dreams as you kind of alluded to of both personalization for the consumer which is intrinsically linked to a supply chain that affords that. Yeah. And it seems to me that a lot of other maybe experiments or interests in this field have kind of taken those two as separate as separate problems. Yeah. But it seems like you very deliberately realize that those are the same issue. And Absolutely. I'm curious how you kind of approach those two together, um, different but very connected problems. So I think that I think that there are two sort of parts to it. So the fact that there are three of us that started the company and that we're from very different backgrounds. Um, so we're all uh, 
qualified you know masters level designers um but we all have sort of technical backgrounds prior to that so hal um originally did mechanical engineering i originally did electrical engineering and kirsty did textile um design and then we went on and so hal and me did innovation design um and kirsty did women's wear knitwear um as a you know a fashion design specialism but using those technical skills so when we approached the problem of okay we've got this industrial knitting machine that can make all this different stuff we weren't just thinking about the supply chain optimization which obviously is a crucial component of it but we're also thinking of what does this mean for consumers um you know from our design training thinking about all the potential stakeholders in that kind of side of things and just realizing that there are these amazing opportunities that these machines afford and these machines are the way to do it um but the way that the factories are operating and we've been to all of them they tend to do things in batches of 12s 24s things like that um that and moving to like a one is a big supply chain change for them so that's another reason why we built our own production line is like okay how can we make a production line that can work with ones um and so we only have three machines here, but we're working with partner factories in the UK and we're starting to work with partner factories in Italy and things like that to say, okay, this idea of um, a more, I suppose, like responsive supply chain is not just a design school idea of like, wouldn't this be great if this happened? It's actually an industrial transformation. Right. And it's, it's kind of this transformation from, um, I guess, a... Uh proactive supply chain which sounds good but is actually really really burdensome yeah. um to a reactive one yeah and i think that the, the the ultimate goal is not everything being on demand and not everything being pre-manufactured it's somewhere in the middle where you have this like true like reactive supply chain where clearly there are going to be commodity items like a white t-shirt that you know you should put in your store that everyone will buy right. and that's fine and then there are other things that are a bit more special and just like um you know, you can go on Amazon and pick from a huge back catalogue of all sorts of different products. You can do that with fashion already. So it's just making, it's moving manufacturing closer to home by using improved automation of machines and using digital stock rather than physical stock because you just have the yarn stock um, and you can make anything with it. Right. And it, it seems like it, there's this really interesting kind of win-win where the the brand or whatever, whatever in question gets to optimize the back end of it and the consumer now has at least if we're talking about the personalization part has access to all these other um benefits or or can feel much closer to the product as opposed to having again normal trade-offs on yeah. those two spectrums absolutely and i think that um you know increasingly it becomes very hard for brands to be able to even predict what the consumer wants because you know your particularly in knitwear is an extreme example because of the technical complexity of it you're you're manufacturing things three to six months and a lot of big big brands are six months um in advance at least right at least and um and you know things change like the the speed of communication now um you know with instagram or snapchat is so immediate um that new designs new trends can be launched overnight um and if you don't have the stock then you're and if you're not responding you know zara and h&m have dominated the sort of fast fashion world by being the fastest um other companies are struggling to catch up so you need to start to be significantly more responsive in the way that you manufacture stuff and that means you need to be significantly more responsive in the way that you design stuff as well absolutely um, there actually seems to be a really interesting application for fast fashion as well, at least on the tech side, which is this 
you know, as good as they are, this gets them even better yeah. than maybe they are, especially within Wovens Absolutely. or within Knitwear. Yeah. So I think with Knitwear, like everyone, it's still challenging within Knitwear. Um, Wovens are, again, like similar problems, like the setups of the looms. Are, um, you know, if you're doing a volume run, it's fine. And we've not even touched that. So, and I don't know anywhere near enough to like <laughs> say that. Um, but I think that there are opportunities of a similar like view within Wovens. But the power of industrial knitting machines is that you can set up a stock of yarn on top and you can make, and we are making um, a blue and white jumper one minute, a green and yellow scarf, a black and green blanket, you know, just automatically coming out of the machine without any like additional setup right right and that the 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 optionality of that is is uh massively improved upon what it was before yeah um i'm curious talk to me a bit kind of how so you you built a lot of the the at least the original or or a lot of the 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 software itself right um and and talk to me a bit about how you kind of approach that and how you kind of maybe where, where a lot of the systems were before and then how you kind of got it to where it was today so the first versions that um, Hal and me built on the software side, like both of us understand the software, but we're not like software engineers. So it was very much a prototype proof of concept thing. So um, we were looking at um, just generating the machine files themselves. So understanding the formats and understanding like the, the ways that um, the machine operated and then also understanding um, and and the reason that we could get so far really was a very clear understanding of the use cases. So we weren't designing, you know, crazy, um, complicated software. Um, a lot of things were manual file transfers or text files that we were just saying, okay, we'll open it in this little bit of uh, Java that we've written here or this little bit of that. But we knew that at the end of it, we had all the steps in the sequence because it was it's a very big, complex problem. You could get bogged down in which language you're doing, but we wrote a lot of the front end sort of side of things, not for the web. We wrote it in like processing and we wrote like um, some stuff in C and C++, some stuff in Java, like, but just wrote little bits and little chunks. And like, we, like, I have had a job in writing professional software in the past, but I would not say that I'm anywhere near good enough to ever get that job ever again. <laughs> they took me as an intern. <laughs> um, but um, but I think that what we did have was an, a good understanding of the problem, the opportunities, and where the right little components of technology would slot in. Um, that by just having a little demo where we're visualizing stitches in a little window that you can upload an image to and you can see that or you can run a little um, generative design tool over the front of it how does that change and so we could very quickly like prototype through all these different ideas we had some friend or my background previously um, I'd worked in like computer vision and stuff like that as well and so I had some friends who are uh, very good at that kind of side of things so we're bouncing ideas off them around visualization on the model and stuff like that and so a lot of the so all the components that we have today for unmade.com were there one and a half two years ago in very prototype form and then the last couple of years has been okay these little components are the right kind of outline sketch of what we need to do and now we have a big team of people that are turning those into actual professional industrial tools, which is a lot harder than it sounds. <laughs> For sure. And so where, kind of where, 
guess when you started, where were these machines in the sense of like, how could you work with them? What were the limitations, the pain points, kind of that? And then I think the biggest challenge has been getting information about the machines in the first place. Um, so there are, re- there are, there are um, both the machine companies, um, the German and the Japanese manufacturer, uh, have offices in the UK. Um, both had different levels of receptiveness to three people who clearly didn't own a factory, <laughs> clearly weren't from a big brand, rocking up and asking difficult questions. And, you know, knitwear comes in uh, lots of different gauges. So, you know, generally 8, 10, 12, 16, 18, things like that. And being like, oh, can can you make a 13 or a 11 and a half piece of uh, like gauge of knitwear? Right in the middle. And they're like, well, that's not a thing. <laughs> and then you instantly lose credibility. So, yeah. so just getting the technical information about how these machines operate and getting access to time on them was the biggest initial barrier um and was really slow that once we got access to the machines and started to understand that then things started to accelerate and we could say okay this is um working out pretty well because we've done this little test and we've changed these little things and this works and then we could kind of see the step forward but that initial essentially research phase um was very hard to get all the right components to see the whole problem in its entirety yeah because i mean it seems like you were working on so many different vectors from building the software to then adding to the machine then printing out the actual thing that you're like it's one thing to kind of iterate on like one of those vectors like we're a software company doing that but you almost have like three of them going at the same time which seems to just uh, multiply the complexity yeah totally and i think that's true i mean we have a lot of different um like products essentially digital products um that we are concurrently developing so um i think we might revise the names at some point but um we have cloudnet which is our um virtual factory essentially so that takes all the orders from unmade.com and sequences um the you know when the delivery dates what the yarn stocks are in the um manufacturing locations and so we're currently doing the majority of orders here at Somerset House in, London, in central London. But um, we're also working with a, a factory partner in North London. Um, and we're looking at, well, we're also running a trial with an Italian factory at the minute. Um, that then we can start, that virtual factory can start to schedule between different locations. And, um, you know, if we have an order and we want it to, being manufactured next day and we have yarn at this location then you're going to make it there and that kind of stuff another one of the key other components is a virtual knitting machine so how you can take that design and um, start to generate the correct machine file for the right machine so obviously not all industrial machine types are the same class in the factory uh, they don't all act in the same way they all have little nuances we can do a range of them currently we're working on a whole new range um, going forward and we're looking at different types of knitting and stuff like that so that's a, another part of it and then also the unmade.com site and the customization tool itself which is obviously a very different beast <laughs> and very different thing and um, how we handle the kind of mixed um rendered photo 
element that we're building that that's a whole other tool that we're offering how we we're building a design tool that uh lets other people create designs brands essentially create parameterized designs that then they can offer to their customer and things like that so yeah there's a lot of different bits but i think that that's a good reflection of the transformation that's required like you kind of can't have one without the other like there are companies that offer customization you know photo tools but just like any CAD software you can very quickly produce something that can't be manufactured and what we've tried to do is wrap up the intelligence of what's possible to be manufactured at every step so that the customer or even the designer in the first place you know knows that when they press that button it can just go out of the machine gotcha so t- talk talk to me a bit about kind of the process from designing if i want to design a brand wants to design something kind of walk me through kind of what would actually happen and then how long it would take it seems like the the actual timeline is incredibly compressed now as a result which is really exciting the current way the fastest current route is that the design tool that we have at the minute is that you would take one of our pre-made shapes um you can select the different materials so we have um you know really high-end cashmere extra fine merino and uh, pima cotton um and those different styles have been uh, all the programs and all the hard work around changing those materials has all been handled um we've got a selection of different colors that are um that you can select from um and you can upload your graphic or artwork or you know and they can be different per panel and things like that like much more advanced than what we're showing on unmade.com and um you can generate a first instance of that and you can press the sample button and that will be sent to be manufactured um and we can send that to you and then once that's set up within that tool there's also customization elements so you can upload a much bigger graphic so that you could move that so that you could say the customer can move between these boundaries of this graphic um you could potentially actually this isn't in that interface but talking to us you can generate your own custom javascript interaction things like that so that's all handled um again examples of which are all on unmade.com um and the big tool that we're working on at the minute which is significantly more complex is okay how can you um upload your shape so as a brand your fit is incredibly important to your consumers so how can we respond to that because the machines can do that but obviously the software complexity of doing that is high so if you have your own shape we send you that how do you need to photograph that so that then it can go into our system and all those kinds of things so the the easiest thing that we've done so far is you take your existing designs you can upload it you can then we can interpret that we you can parameterize it um to be whatever you want to offer to your customers you can get a sample back once that's approved then it can be published um to your site or our site to to me so much of the power this is kind of the abstraction part which is you're taking these incredibly complex processes and just starting to kind of uh level up the the ease of use and i mean in three years it seems like that that level lean up has gone so far already um where does that go or where does this continue to kind of go if if you take this uh, if you continue on this trajectory so i think the next phase for us now is um taking it to like true industrial volumes so a lot of the brands that we're working with at the minute are real like large volume producers um and i think that they see the advantages because they are they have an intimate knowledge of how these machines operate and perhaps owns them themselves 
And so we're working with people that do own their own production now because that's it's a lot easier for them to say, okay, well, you can have, we can run a trial on 10 machines and we'll go from there. That's a good test of our technology, but the ultimate is potentially like manufacturing as a service, um, you know, production as a service, fulfillment as a service, all those kinds of things where we become the layer that, you know, you could almost set up a fashion brand with all your production, shipping, fulfillment, um, you know, in an afternoon, potentially. I mean, I'm not saying that we're close For to sure. that, but like that's a potential end goal of where it is. Um, and so we kind of started, unmade.com's kind of exploring a bit of those long tail ideas, but to become like the true layer, you need to also have the big guys. So we're testing the true like industrial application of it because what we've built is industrial technology. So yeah, with the big guys first and then we'll go from there. I mean, it kind of sounds like you want to become in a way kind of like the Amazon web services of, you know, n- n- this platform in the same in the same vein. I think so. I think that the the thing that we're interested in as well is how we can have can re- uh, retain some level of relationship with the consumer as hmm. well. So, um fit is obviously a massive deal. Um preference and color all those kinds of things. So, how we can help pers- like the brand to personalize their experience to the customer better because we know what they've bought from other places and things like that um and just provide a better service to everyone so it's a win-win so you know what if sizing vanishes what if you always get the right and like lots of brands are exploring all those things at the minute anyway um but you know like paypal is to payments what if we could be like that to buying clothes right and so so there's an interesting kind of balance there which is it sounds like you uh want to basically retain and and have the brand of unmade known to the consumer while also having it power stuff on the backside. I mean, I'm curious yeah. kind of how, how how do you approach navigating that that balance? Because it's not necessarily easy to do. No, I, th- I think that we're in a strong position to be able to do that because of the uniqueness of what we've developed. And the as, as you say, the, the complexity or the fact that we've developed so much of the tool set and it, there's a, a lot of different components that the idea is that it becomes so easy that why wouldn't you use it? And that gives us a lot of power to... Um, be able to say oh well you know this is powered by and made um and i think that you know the other thing about so we play with the the kind of uh, marketing speak of like an ingredient brand so intel inside mm. is a good example uh 3m or lycra or gore-tex or those kinds of things but they're quite passive components so it's kind of a different category um, but we're like that's something that we're like exploring what the right opportunity is so it could be you know around fit or color or all these kinds of things or just purely that um, you know that it's going to come from like we'll handle all the fulfillment side of things so um, we've got your address preferences saved or something like that um, and I think it will the what which of our services will be required by each different brand is obviously going to be quite different um, but yeah, I mean, it's a big, <laughs> ambitious vision. No, absolutely, it's exciting though. Um, what, what's been kind of the hardest part of this to date, given all that it, you guys? I think there've been touching. two, two really um, challenging moments. Um, the first one was getting escape velocity in a way, like getting going. Um, so we had a pretty successful design consultancy beforehand, um, and even with that kind of background of like being able to prototype and say, oh, this is a good idea. 
um, to big companies, um, getting the cash to be able to do your own project was hard. So we had to funnel all the cash out of our other business into this one. And that meant that like we wouldn't hire other people that we needed. So we had to work like crazy hard to um, get enough cash. Because the other thing was, you know, it's easy to explain now we've built it, but it was very hard to explain and seemingly like insane in its like breadth when it's just like an idea on paper. It's like, okay, great. But like, can you realistically do that? <laughs> right. Whereas by building it, it's then become way more obvious. And so building it enabled us to raise investment. Whereas when it was like an idea and like buy-in from brands, whereas when it was just an idea, or you know we had the first steps of all the things and it wasn't connected it's like oh that's a nice idea but will it actually work so that was the first big challenge and the second big challenge which has been much more enjoyable has been um how to scale a team so from probably we were still very effective at around five people um and now that we are um, next week going to be 20 wow. full-time staff, um, that has produced a whole different set of challenges about like planning, prioritization, like distribution of responsibility, knowledge, like tasks, all that kind of stuff that is like a new thing. But I think now we're, we're coming out of that phase and we're becoming very efficient again, but that definitely takes a knock on your ability yeah. to deliver for a, a little period. Yeah, I think I was listening to uh, Brian Chesky from Airbnb. He was talking mm. about scaling a company, and he basically talked about like every, I think at every factor of ten, your company grows, everything breaks, yeah. and you basically you're, it's like playing a different sport every time. Yeah, like you're playing baseball, then you're playing hockey, then you're playing soccer. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's a pretty interesting challenge. Totally, and I think that the other thing is that um, there have been various challenges in the fact that um, because Hal, Kirsty, and me are friends. Um, that has been a massive benefit um, in the fact that we've managed to get through problems, but it's also, to some extent, created some problems right. as well about like being candid or whatever with each other um, and with other people in the team because it's like we want to have a nice, fun environment, and we do. Um, and then the other thing is that actually just working out as we were all designers that sometimes like we can't be doing everything. Um, we have to like hand over a lot of responsibility of things that we want to be involved in has just been like a learning process um and we've all gone through that at different steps and different times and we've all been like oh well it's just because you're doing this and then a few months later one of the other of us is showing the same exhibiting the same problem of being like we should probably yeah back away from that <laughs> yeah and so so i guess through that lens obviously coming from a design world prototyping is kind of your bread and butter and i'm yeah. curious kind of how you learned and then I guess approach the actual, you know, the scale part of it yeah. and, and the supply chain part of it. Um, given, you know, I think there's designers are very good, at, you know, at, at doing that. And there's also the question of, like, okay, okay, now what? And I'm, how, how did you approach that? So um, there are different things. So we, so obviously getting people on the software side that had built industrial use or like volume use products uh, already made a big difference because their understanding of requirements um and the and the time required and all this kind of all those different elements made a big difference in saying okay well um we should dig more into this or not and then we've recently been hiring uh, more professional like design researchers and doing factory visits and all that kind of stuff and really and like uh, 
breaking down a lot of our assumptions that we've picked up that oh well it's obviously like that this doesn't make sense or we could do this better or whatever and saying no let's just go through it and like take a step back and and really dig into what the requirements are which is so we've you know rushed very far ahead with the first versions and it's like now doing a period of reflection on that and saying okay these first versions that are in use like you know what's working what's not what are the new requirements and just yeah professionalizing that kind of workflow basically totally so talk to me a bit about kind of cost and and where maybe where right because knitwear at at this scale or at this quality tends to be very expensive. And I'm curious kind of how you approach that problem and then kind of where it lands today, which is, I mean, it seems incredibly affordable for, for what you guys are doing. Um, and I'm just curious kind of the, the, the story and the thinking behind so, that. So, the, the, so two things. So um, we are making extremely high quality products that other brands are retailing at significantly higher um, margins, if nothing else than us. Um, but because we are the whole um, supply chain, we can offer those products and we're also using them as kind of an experiment um so it would be great if we could build a great consumer brand out of it like as a direct consumer brand but the aim is more to associate ourselves with um, the, the unmade brand with the you know the fact that we're changing this design relationship with the customer and inviting them in and then we've shown what it is now and we can start to show that through other brands and other people just like we have when we unmade doesn't design any products on our current site the designers design the products um and we have our own internal design team called white label but it's not an unmade product like the unmade product is the the joining of the designer and the customer through unmade um sorry i've gone a bit off track off your original no no, no you're good um your original it's about cost cost um and yeah so we have um so that's kind of been the idea of where unmade um has been positioned um and yeah by holding all that we're not using external factories we have our own little factory or we're starting to go down the route of using external factories um but our own products we manufacture ourselves um we can therefore afford to use higher quality yarns because we can put a you know standard retail margin on it um, we're not putting a retail margin on a, a, a something that's been manufactured by a factory that they've put their own right. profit margin on it, that they're blah, 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 like the whole chain. Um, we're cutting all that out so we can offer something that's a lot more affordable. Um, but yeah, it's also that we just wanted to um, kind of be playing with this stuff and get some easy early volume ourselves. Um, the other side of the quality aspect is... Um, that because we're making everything as a one-off, if something breaks, we've doubled our production cost, which is huge. So it doesn't pay for us to use cheap materials. Because if we use really cheap, um, or not even cheap, but like yarns that have been reduced in quality because you're manufacturing a 1,000 of them, right. and if you lose 6%, that's not a big deal. You offset it against the batch, that's fine. But that means for us 6% of all our products we've doubled the production cost on those individual items which has wiped out all the profit margin so therefore we need to be using significantly higher quality materials that we know that when we run it through there's obviously always going to be a little bit of a problem but we know that um the vast majority i think it's like we're at like 
you know it, the top end of the 90s kind of range of like 90 percent of the time uh 98-ish or something that when we press a button it will come through and there'll be no problems and also if there are any problems it's very easy to fix it Gotcha. And I'm sure that was incredibly hard work to get there, right? Because like, even if you take 6% of the batch of one, it's still just, it's the, the batch is gone, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Um, totally. Yeah. And and I think that it's kind of, we, we the other thing was when you're prototyping, you want to remove as many possible components that might be influencing the result. So if you use the highest quality material, you've ruled out the fact that the yarn might be the problem right. so we've had there's been various things that we've had to like mathematically model and all this mm. kind of stuff to address a kind of moving a move to zero prototype production um and yeah if you just use lower quality materials then it's not gonna um it's another uh, right. thing that you have to account for for sure um talk to me a bit about kind of the the approach to having all the kind of these open collaborations because you know looking on the website it, it's obviously something that is uh very prolific and also brings kind of again this interesting um kind of perspective and balance again to this brand and this entity that is you know uh navigating between back end front end and all those things and yeah, how, how did you kind of approach and, and why did you kind of start to open those up so i think from the very beginning um because the, the the company had these kind of two early phases of one was, okay, how do we make these machines make a different uh, product every single time to, okay, we've got that. What are we going to do with it? That second step, we were very aware that we are not the best people to make use of the design potential of this technology. We definitely have good ideas, and we're coming at it from a completely different perspective. But if we're just going down the route where we're designing all the clothes, we're designing all the products, we're saying that this technology is best used by us, potentially there's a bit of an arrogant approach, but also it's limiting to you know the breadth of human creativity, <laughs> for lack of a better expression. Um, and so from, the, from day one, we were like, this would be amazing if um, these guys that we really respect who do interaction design did it. This would be amazing if our favorite illustrator did some stuff with it. This would be amazing if um, this fashion designer that we really love started to use it. And so it naturally came from our diverse interests and also just this view that, you know, I think because of our age as well, that um, we're younger than most people um, running companies in the fashion industry, um, that, you know, that's the modern way of working. Like, why don't you... Um, invite other people to have a look at what you're doing and have a go and we've obviously had to limit the involvement of the customer at this stage because we're still building out the technology um, but you know we do believe that it's like this kind of broad use um, you know very varied platform is the way that fashion needs to move and kind of already is but like we can accelerate catalyze yeah yeah and catalyze yeah. it much faster to the next step yeah and it seems like your net your all your networks were themselves a catalyst for Absolutely. making the company as it is today which Absolutely. is this interdisciplinary um diverse company um i'm curious so if we kind of look if you look ahead you you guys obviously have kind of your on-site mini factory um does that scale out in the sense of do you be do you want to be owning factories do you want to just be a platform that existing factories run on how do you kind of approach that and Again, seeing those as as a connected thing, which is is 
is the platform as powerful without, let's say, control over the machines? So I think that the like I was saying, the first step is that we're working with um, for this scaling into working with bigger brands is um, that we're working with brands who have um, their existing production and are already probably two or three of the most advanced knitwear companies in the world. Um, so those guys have seen that there's a problem that they have that we can address. Um, so that's really good for them. But a significant percentage of fashion brands and you know consumers as well don't have an industrial knitting machine in their backyard. In their backyard. Um, they might have a relationship with a factory if they're currently selling knitwear, but many of them can't afford to... Um, have a relationship with the factory because the minimum order is you know if you're lucky 120 pieces um so being able to provide that connection to factories is key Hmm. i think it would be very expensive for us to go and set up a massive factory ourselves um we would much rather work therefore with existing factories and it's not like we've developed a new machine that's completely different we're using the existing machines that are already in the factory so it's much um better for us to work with these existing um factories all around the world and say okay we've got this slightly different way of working we've got all these advantages for you you can get you know much more efficient use of your machines you can use um you know, a smaller range of stock and provide a bigger range of products and all this kind of thing. And um, you don't have to deal with all the complexities of sampling and programming your machines, which is a headache for all of them because there are never enough uh, good knitwear programmers (laughs) at any one time. Right. And so what what is that process like for, um, I mean, because it just, it seems like the switching cost for, let's say, someone who owns a knitwear factory with these machines is incredibly low. Yeah, and we've tried to make it as seamless as possible in a way. So we have a little um, box that we would stick in the factory um, that just uh, connects to our cloud platform and connects to the machines. But, you know, we're toying with that could just be for free. Like, we don't care. <laughs> wow. Um, so so it, the setup cost could potentially be, like, time. Wow. So, so it basically is again this thing that kind of sits on top of what is existing, and um, that to me seems kind of really powerful in the sense of you know you don't have to rip out anything you already have. No, no, we're just exactly. imp- we're building on top of exactly, um, and 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 I think that's the the key really is that if you are trying to the, the scale of the problem that we're trying to tackle is huge. So therefore, we need to get buy-in from every single step of the chain. Like if we there are routes where we go down and we'll be like, no, we're going to do this in a completely different way. We're throwing away all the old knowledge. But textiles is something that was the foundation of the first industrial revolution. So there's probably been a little bit of knowledge built up along the way. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, I think we're pretty uh, arrogant if we think that we know everything about it. We certainly don't. And that's why we're working with some really exciting companies um, who have extreme and like a lot of like heritage kind of knowledge around the industrial production of clothing if you, if you kind of look i guess like three three years out where where do you see unmade as the entity itself being um it, yeah. so I, th- I think that um hopefully we'll have finished the development of all the different components <laughs> um i think that then it will start to be much more exciting that then it's a true platform where we can offer um, we're building all the tools as web-based tools, so you can go onto um, unmade.com, 
the exact euro to be decided um and you can pick from those different components and uh the unmade experience will be embedded on a variety of different brands and retailers across the web um there'll be potential of in-store so like ipads and things like that um and it'll be much broader scale so changing the way that the industry works broadly so this unmade experience isn't just happening in london um it's happening across the world so in america in europe in japan china things like that and the really exciting thing is that you could go into a store or buy online um i could be a consumer in france buying from a chinese designer but i'm on holiday in new york and um here for a week and it's going to be manufactured in new york and be delivered to me or it can be manufactured ready and waiting for me when i arrive home um when i land in france or something like that and so i think that this global network potential is the next sort of big challenge of where we're going that connecting a few brands and optimizing their supply chain and helping solve their problems is interesting but what if it then becomes this true kind of global network of fashion totally how you know given the complexity of this and kind of the the scale of the vision how do you decide what to say no to or or what to not work on um i think that's a very very it's a big challenge because uh, you know we are good at seeing uh opportunities in all sorts of things <laughs> Uh, the 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 real um, shift in the last three to six months has been um, prioritization of scale, essentially. Hmm. So, what are the things that can help us get to um, validate our technology at real volume sooner, um, and prioritizing those things? Um, but the the great problem of our company is that the appetite is huge across the industry, and so. It's very difficult to blend um, trying to keep a kind of edge and cool to what we do and like a fashion future, like fashion leader kind of position with the fact that a lot of the less sexy companies are the ones that are doing the really big volumes. Hmm. And that's where you can have the real big impact where you are genuinely impacting the fact that 10% of all clothes go to waste because that 10% go around all the stores and are never sold because it's completely you know unwanted production like that's when you start to have a real impact right no i i think that's such a salient point because um i don't know i i think there's especially kind of you if you look at kind of fashion tech today there's like this uh just kind of unwavering quest to be really really cool and as a result you know we basically have a lot of just very nice shiny objects that really don't do much um and you know just from my own experience you, you basically start to figure out that there is a way to balance kind of the cool and in, in actually getting something done. But like a lot of, I mean, you said it like a lot of, you know, the best businesses are just really, really boring and that's not necessarily bad, but they don't kind of buy into that whole fashion's view of hype and, and, and exclusivity and all these things. Um, and it, it, it's, it, it's interesting because I mean, to me, you guys have done a really amazing job kind of navigating that of where you're building actually very meaningful technology, but you also seem very of the moment and cool and all that. Um, but it, but it, it's a tra- it, I think it's a very very easy trap, especially in kind of fashion tech generally. Definitely, and I think that um, I think that there is a real problem, and we've tried to stay away from that as much as possible, actually, of going down a novelty route. And that's where a lot of, for me, a lot of fashion tech sits at the minute. Right. Is wouldn't it be great if my shoes could vibrate on when I'm walking? 
down the road to tell me which way right. the next turning is rather than getting my phone out of the my pocket or taking my oculus rift off or something exactly <laughs> yeah exactly or like yeah i'm i can see you know i can have a much better shopping experience by wearing my oculus rift in my bedroom <laughs> than going to the shop right you know, these kinds of things are um markers to the future but they're not the future um and I think that that is an important point for a lot of fashion tech companies and also a lot of companies looking at fashion tech is how is this actually going to be more than marketing, which is something that we have been incredibly conscious of, which is also why we didn't go with another brand at the beginning is that a lot of the early offers were, oh yeah, we could definitely do this in our store and do something like this, but it just becomes a novelty expression of a brand trying to do something interesting for Christmas or for Easter or whatever. Um, and no, and just like, okay, no, this process is totally different. This is a completely different like approach. Um, and then once we've managed to express that, then it's like, okay. And partly the name unmade is, um, you know, this thing that if you take, uh, Nike unmade, Burberry unmade. Um, what is that? What are, what is that catalyst like action that we're performing on those brands? So if it's like Nike unmade by you, hmm. Very that cool. is, expresses the the relationship that we're trying to bring. Gotcha. I guess my last question is kind of through this lens, and I think this brings uh, you mentioned before a bit about kind of the, the the global nature of this, which brings to mind kind of some sort of you know, you know retail at some point or maybe like that. I'm curious how. Um, you kind of approach or or think about the need for uh, consumer demonstration of this technology when kind of again balancing this front end and the back end and kind of maintaining the brand across those mm. those two vectors. So I think consumer demonstration is key because I think that unless so consumers are starting to de- demand more anyway, but unless they understand what's possible, there's no push. So partly the reason why what we've done hasn't happened before is that there isn't a driving reason to connect all those components together so brands would like to do some of those things but it's never going to move the bottom line to invest probably millions in tech development um to get to that point for one brand um so by coming at it and saying okay how can we join all these dots together and how can we show the product experience for the consumer and start to and then consumers can start to demand and they can start to pressurize their brands and and say like well i can get this service from this other company why can't i get that with you right and as you mentioned before there there's a huge environmental part of this too absolutely which is a key thing for us so like a huge um change that has already started to happen in a small way is by being more responsive in production, we can significantly reduce waste. And, um, you know, we see this in things like car, manu- like very expensive things like car manufacturer or some electronics manufacturing where we can, like already automation has meant that um, the production is very responsive and you don't have stock sat around waiting. The factory is connected to the consumer. The car's shipped out in three days or whatever. Um, and that's obviously been very worthwhile because the the unit price is very um, like valuable to be doing that with. But that's not where all the industrial waste is coming from. All the industrial waste is coming from fast-moving consumer goods. So like fashion is the second most polluting industry in the world, second or third, depending on what you read. <laughs> it's not um, good. Yeah, it's not good. 
and a lot of the waste isn't coming like it's coming from other parts of the supply chain but another big component of what we're doing is that we're kind of exposing that supply chain and um by connecting it all up being able to you know we're looking at things of how we can put webcams in Mm. different parts and we've done little tests of that kind of stuff but like that's a great opportunity for a consumer to come up and say well how are my clothes made you know what are the working conditions like and you can trace it all back because that order has been made for you right and given the just wild pace of consumption today you are maybe uniquely poised to actually keep up with that um, and not not inflict more harm as a result of that exactly and i think that um there's also um there's there's the two sides of it so by making it more responsive it could be that the volumes go up um you know if the num like the number of tracks listened to digitally has gone up significantly as a result of digitization um so well, sorry the number of songs listened to generally has gone up massively as a result of digitization uh, because we can listen to mp3 players in our pockets and all this kind of stuff and fashion's obviously a physical business so that is only like a one kind of point but um the acceleration of trends has massively increased so there's kind of the two sides to it that we're very conscious of but i think that making sure that every product that we make has a buyer and has a home is a big step in terms of like reducing the industrial wastage that's a big part of that um and then the challenge falls onto the consumer behavior which is a much bigger challenge to change that <laughs> awesome um i it's a great place to end thank you so much for your time and this was uh this was great and I'm, I'm really excited to see where this thing goes yeah well me too so <laughs> watch <laughs> okay. this space thanks ben <laughs> thanks, thanks.